You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so Bezras Hashem, tonight we're going to be continuing with our series of Shirim on Rabbi Nachman and the possibility of joy. And as we spoke about last week, for Rabbi Nachman, joy is not a simple happiness, but rather joy is a willingness to live with a sense of wholeness in spite of the fact that things are broken. And what we saw is that for Rabbi Nachman, it's not enough to simply be happy but rather one needs to draw their happiness even into the opposite of happiness and to force the opposite of happiness, to force despondency and to force that natural tendency and proclivity within the self towards the grayer side of things into the dance of joy. Because by drawing sadness and marishchayra and difficulty and despondency that each and every person experiences on their own relative level, that by drawing that into the circle of happiness, it's not simply including the opposite of happiness into happiness, but rather the opposite of happiness becomes the seat upon which happiness itself is magnified. Because by taking yagoin ba'anacha, by taking the size and the despair that a person encounters in this world and forcing it into the circle of joy, Joy expands itself. Joy shows that its territory is not simply its own territory, but rather it holds within itself the territory of sadness as well, to the extent that a person has the capacity of transforming every moment of their lives, and in particular those difficult moments, those minios, those preventions, those saros, those states of constriction, those difficulties, those uridos, into simply another opportunity to magnify joy. And what we're going to talk about tonight for Ezra Sashem is the prerequisite as to how to do that. How does one prepare themselves? How does one get into a headspace necessary wherein even the opposite of joy, even despondency, even the times in our lives where happiness is something that's very difficult to grab hold of, and even if we grab hold of it, it's something very difficult to maintain. And even when we can maintain it, it's something very difficult to believe in. How does one develop and cultivate the capacity of being the balhabayas over their simcha? How does one create for themselves the recognition that happiness is my choice, that I can be bocher to be happy, as opposed to waiting for my emotional state to meet the requirements that I imagine for the condition of happiness, wherein happiness is conditional and it depends on all sorts of external circumstances, it's a happiness that is tali bedavar. It's a contingent happiness. How do I transform that faulty happiness that stutters upon itself at every moment, ready to fall into the abyss of sadness, into unconditional happiness, 
into a happiness that does not need anything but the choice to be happy to create itself. How does one enter into that unconditional space of happiness that Rabbi Nachman taught us about? Because like we said for Rabbi Nachman, the depth of the recognition of joy is that chevra. I have examined every aspect of this world from the top to the bottom, from the left to the right, from the abyss above to the abyss below. I have encountered everything. I have encountered the complications of the intellect and I have encountered the folly of casting off the intellect. I have been to the heavens and I've been to Gehenna. And the only thing that you need to understand is that you must be happy. And Rabbi Nachman even says, he says, and even though I'm telling you this, and even though I'm announcing it to you, and even though you'll be able to say that someone came before you and taught you about this, nevertheless, I know you will struggle in this. Because Rabbi Nachman understood that that the entirety of this world, which is very often considered Gehenna as a result of suffering, is a very, very narrow bridge, a bridge that traverses one edge of experience to another edge of experience, which without that bridge appears to be utterly impossible to traverse that distance. Yet nevertheless, what Rabbi Nachman reveals is the paradoxical bridge that bridges the gap while still maintaining the separateness between those polarities of experience. And so how could it be that we can cultivate this unconditional ground of happiness? And for Rabbi Nachman, in my humble opinion, one of the preconditions is cultivating a mindset that no longer looks outside to the world for acceptance no longer bases their concept or their baseline of happiness on what the rest of the world says, on what they say, on what the anonymous crowds other than ourselves have to say about Simcha, but rather cultivating, as we're going to see, an almost solipsistic, individualized, self-centered form of Avodah Hashem, wherein a person understands that I determine the value of experience. I am the one. My neshama is the individual neshama that has come down into this world to determine where I can find happiness. And each and every one of us has the capacity and the necessity to say this, that when I live in a world with other people, when I'm simply one amongst many, an anonymous number within a growing number of people, so my baseline of happiness, my baseline of self-acceptance, my baseline of comfort and yishavadas in this world is going to fluctuate based on how I feel that I'm experiencing life through the eyes of other people or how other people are reacting to me. If people look at me in a positive way, my joy will ascend. If people look at me in a negative way, my joy will descend. If I feel that I'm being spiritually productive, I'll feel good about myself. If I feel that I'm struggling with spiritual productivity, I'll judge myself unfavorably. My joy or my sadness will be dependent and contingent upon the opinions of other people or really upon the imagined opinions of other people. The projections as the Baal Shem Tov taught us that we see in other people what is truly going on in ourselves. And so when I live my life with a happiness or a gauge of happiness that is dependent and contingent upon other people. So then I am never the balabayas over my simcha. I care too much about what other people have to say. If it's other, a good day where people are smiling at me, I'll be great, but the next moment I can fall to the ground. And this necessity of finding favor in the eyes of others, 
of having others judge us favorably for the sake of our spiritual productivity is something that Rabbi Nachman fought very hard against. Because Rabbi Nachman came to a place of understanding and he announced it for all of us that to be a Jew, to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu properly, one has to abandon all conditionality. One has to cast off all notions of being looked at or judged by anybody else, where I allow my kina, my taiva, and my kavod to determine or become the compass according to which I cultivate my spiritual and personal identity. And I have to live in a world where there is nobody but me and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That is the birthplace of what it means to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, it's very important to understand that Rabbi Nachman is not cultivating some self-centered, arrogant perspective where I'm the only person in the world that matters. God forbid. But rather, each and every person is their own center of the universe. And just as I am the center of the universe and anybody else that I encounter is peripheral to my spiritual experience, the same is true for the neighbor right next to me that they are the center of the universe and I am simply peripheral in their existence. And when each and every person is able to understand that we are both center and periphery at the very same moment, vis-a-vis ourselves, we are the centering agent, the anchor that grounds existence. My eyes are the eyes of the world. The way I feel is the nature of existence and everybody else is peripheral in my experience. In the very same moment, I have to understand that I am simply periphery to everybody else's experience. When I'm able to balance those paradoxes, when I'm able to deal with those two oppositional postulates in the same notion that I am at the one hand, the most important only individual in the world, the only one in the eyes of Hashem, yet at the other hand, the other person right next to me is the only one in the eyes of Hashem. When I can dance together with those two paradoxical notions, there's a birth of self-acceptance and self-importance without an arrogance or a violence towards the other. Rabbi Nachman tells us this very clearly when telling us that if you want to understand what it means to serve Hashem, you have to understand what it means to be alone with HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the universe. A famous teaching of Rabbi Nachman the teaching that bridges the first volume of Lakuta Maharan with the second volume of Lakuta Maharan is a teaching that's known as Echad Haya Avraham, that Avraham was singular. And Rabbi Nachman states as follows when it comes to a person entering into the gates of Avodah Hashem. Rabbi Nachman says as follows Echad Haya Avraham, the Pasuk in Yechaskel says that Avraham was singular. Sha Avraham Avid Hashem Rak Al Yidei Shahaya Echad that the prerequisite condition for Avraham Avinu's service of God was that he was a singular individual in the world. And he thought in his mind and he conjured up within his mind that he was the only one in the world. And he did not look whatsoever at anybody else in the world. Who moved themselves away from God or tried to prevent him? Velo al He didn't look at anything that served as a prevention in his life. Rak echad ba'olam, but rather as if he were a singular individual in the world. Vezehu echad haya Avraham, that Avraham was singular. And so too, when a person desires to enter into the gates of the service of God. 
שיחשוב שאין בעולם כי אם הוא לבד ויחידי בעולם. And the prerequisite for anybody who wants to enter into the gates of holiness to serve God, the necessity is to see themselves as if they're the only person in the world. And not to look at anybody else. No one who prevents me and not the menios that block me. Nobody who laughs at me or looks at me differently. I need to enter into a place a person has to get to a point where they don't care whatsoever what anybody else is saying. But rather a person needs to live with the mindset of Avraham was singular as if they are the only person in the world. When I am able to enter into the mindset that I am the center of the world, that I am the only person in the world, I become the one who determines where I can find joy. No longer am I comparing myself to the spiritual progress of anybody else or judging myself according to the assumptions of what I should be doing based on anybody else. The only thing that a person needs to do is find favor in the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. As Rabbi Nachman says in the fifth teaching of Lakuta Maharam, that each and every person needs to see to it as if the entirety of the world was created for themselves. And if it turns out that the entire world was created just for me, then my job is to look at the world, to examine the world, to see what's broken in the world, and to rectify those broken places in the world. A person needs to abandon the notion that I am being watched by anybody. Because ultimately, the only person whose opinion matters is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The only alignment that we need to create for ourselves is in the eyes of our higher power. Nobody else has the right to tell me what can bring me joy and what should make me sad. When I'm able to detach myself and free myself from the confines of the world thinking and the conditions that the world demands for me, I become a free individual. I become a person who determines the gradations of my joy. And I can be impoverished and I can be broken and I can be stuck in all manners of darkness, but I can choose to be happy. Ah, it goes against the colloquial way of thinking. It doesn't matter because nothing else exists. All that exists are the parameters of joy that I demand for myself. Because it is only when joy becomes an unconditional choice that I make in my life that I am capable of forcing myself into joy at any moment, in spite of all of the opposites of joy, in spite of all of the difficulties of joy. And this was something that Rabbi Nachman preached in a number of ways, that a person in order to serve God needs to reach a place of really not caring. I need to reach a place where my avodas Hashem is self-determining. If I feel that it brings me closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, if I feel that it is drawing me closer to joy in my life, that's all I need to focus on. One of my favorite stories that I heard a long time ago was that the famous Mashkiach or Shlomo Volber was an incredible, incredible pikeach and a compassionate thinker of what it means to be a human being in this world, whose teachings stand the test of the greatest psychologists. And the story is that Rav Volber had a son who was more modern than he was, who didn't align with the hashkafos of the yeshiva of Be'er Yaakov, where Rav Volber was Mashkiach. And it used to be that his son would come into the base medrash and the students in the base medrash would look at his son and they would say, aren't you embarrassed? Aren't you embarrassed of the shame that you bring your father? Aren't you embarrassed with regards to the failures that your father sees in you? 
And he wouldn't respond because he understood his father and he went up to his father and he said, Abba, he said, Abba, do you care? Do you care that I dress differently? Do you care that I look differently? And Revolva responded, I care what's written in the Shulchan Aruch. Meaning to say that once a person finds that determinant anchor, according to which they will judge their spiritual progress, that's all that matters. The looks and the accusations and the attempts of pushing a person off of their path and the manios that come along with other people thinking that you've lost your way, none of it matters. The only thing that matters is how I see myself in the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and how I believe HaKadosh Baruch Hu sees me. When it comes to the real understanding of where we stand in the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Rabbeinu has already come along and told us that that's an impossibility for us to know in this world. Rabbi Nassim said there's nothing more difficult to understand than the heart of a Jew. Rabbi Nachman comes along and says, it is impossible to understand where I stand in this world on a spiritual level. The rest is up to us to do our best. And if I want to do my best, I have to become the precondition of my best. I have to create a mindset where there is absolutely nothing in the world that can take away from my joy. I don't care. You look at me one way, you look at me another way, you speak to me one way, you speak to me another way. None of it matters, like we spoke about in the Shirem and the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh. Shevisi Hashem l'negdi tamid. That I place HaKadosh Baruch in front of me always. Shevisi melashan hishta'avus. Of equanimity. Up, down, ugly, beautiful. It's all the same because I'm with HaKadosh Baruch in front of me at every moment. When a person creates and cultivates that deep connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it doesn't matter to me what anybody else is going to be saying. I'm not afraid of anybody else. I'm only afraid of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I'm only trying to live my life according to the preconditions where I can find joy, which is the prerequisite for a connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Rabbi Nachman says incredibly that Eretz Yisrael, that place that Rabbi Nachman yearned to enter into, Eretz Yisrael was for Rabbi Nachman was the place that he needed to find his way into in order to properly serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. To the extent that after Rabbi Nachman risked his entire life to get to Eretz Yisrael, and he returned back to his Talmidim, he was a completely different person, ashamed and embarrassed of the Torah that he taught beforehand. And what we know about Rabbi Nachman's journey towards Eretz Yisrael, Rabbi Nachman's journey towards what he saw as joy, was not a simple journey. It was a terrifying, existential, life-threatening journey where Rabbi Nachman truly came to the recognition of lo ichbatli bechlal, I don't care other than what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants from me. Rabbi Nachman tells us that Eretz Yisrael is godless shebegodless. It is the greatness of greatness. It is the greatest spiritual mindset that a person can cultivate. The land where HaKadosh Baruch Hu is staring at us at every moment. And Eretz Yisrael is a place as much as it's a mindset. And then if you're Zoycha, it's a mindset within a place. But Eretz Yisrael was the Simcha that Rabbi Nachman wanted to reach. The godless Shabbat the unconditional joy wherein I can find happiness and connectivity to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in spite of anything that's going on externally. And before coming to godless Shabbat before reaching the heights of the heights, says Rabbi Nachman, a person has to descend into Katnas Shabbat into the lowest of the low. Not simply the low, but the lowest of the low. And Rabbi Nachman was even courageous enough to say that this is why his grandfather, the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh, was not Zohar to make it into Eretz Yisrael. 
because when he encountered that katnas, that emptiness of the mind where he couldn't even remember the Aleph phase, the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh wasn't able to move forward. Not in a question of Maila, God forbid, but it was something that was reserved for Rabbi Nachman. And as we know, Rabbi Nachman's journey was one that was filled with mishaps and, and disastrous circumstances prior to coming to Eretz Yisrael. And one of the most important elements is that Rabbi Nachman acted like a fool. Rabbi Nachman acted like a buffoon. Rabbi Nachman dressed like a pauper with ripped clothes and he would bother people and he would play games and he acted like a jester. He would pretend he was one person when he was really pretending to be another person. And people would come and say, who are you? Are you A or B? And he would say, I'm A and B at the same time. He would live with this fantastical, almost jester-like apathy towards anybody else. He did not care. He reached a place where all that mattered was his desire to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Parenthetically speaking, one of the names that Rabbi Nachman went by when he was trying to conceal himself, when he was living in this state of upheaval and chaos and, and comedy and being a jester and not caring about anything but the precondition of his joy, they called him Isaac. And Rabbi Nachman once began to announce, he said, you want to know why they call me Isaac? And he didn't finish. But on a certain level, we can pretend to understand that Isaac, Yitzchak, is the Bechina of Shaykh. Yitzchak is the, the one who creates laugh, laughter in the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The one who's willing to descend into the pits of despair, the one who's willing to offer himself up for a korban, even though he knows he's not going to be a korban. To pretend, to play a game, to act in a comedy. Yitzchak was the one who was willing to watch the plishtim without reacting, cover over his wells, without caring very much because everything is fine. I don't have to leave Eretz Yisrael. Everything is fine. And Rabbi Nassim says that a chassid came to him afterwards and he said, I want to name my son Nachman, but I also have to name my son Isaac after a grandfather. And Rabbi Nassim said, it's okay because when you name your son Isaac, when you name your son Yitzchak, you're also naming your son Nachman. And that's the whole Indian of Rabbi Nachman, Koydim Eretz Yisrael, he was willing to descend into the laughter of Yitzchak, into that chaotic upheaval that Barchana Demalka, who no longer cared about anything. And Rabbi Nachman says as follows in Shivche Haran with regards to his trip to Eretz Yisrael. In the beginning of my life, I was a very angry person. I was a petty person. I was a person who reacted and had resentments based on what other people felt based on the looks that other people sent to me. And I judged myself according to what they expected of me. And it created anger and resentment. But when I decided that I wanted to be a kosher person, like the will of Hashem desires, I began to break and come through this midah of anger, this midah of kaptanut, of caring. To the point that I was able to shatter and destroy this Mida of anger. But in truth, the Iker is not simply for someone who cares and gets angry to learn how to control their anger, but rather it has to be the polar opposite. The angry person who cares about what other people feel has to reach the point of literally not caring whatsoever having no predisposition towards anger. To reach a place of pure good, where there's only good. And this is the language of Rabbeinu. 
that nothing bothers me. I don't care about anything. There is nothing in this world that can shake me off my game because I cultivate the state of equanimity, which tells me I'm the one in control of my happiness. And it will be only good without any resentments or demands or expectations in this world. Just shivisi Hashem tamid. Just echbatli mashakasuv b'shulchanorach. I care what Hashem wants for me. What everybody else wants, I will not let take away from the equanimity that I am trying to cultivate. This Rabbi Nachman was to only in Eretz Yisrael. And already in Lakuta Maharan, there's a teaching over this. So again, what Rabbi Nachman is teaching us is that in order to enter into that space of unconditional joy, where I can choose to be happy in spite of whatever the conditions or circumstances of my life is, I have to first and foremost learn to accept myself unconditionally. I have to stop waiting for people to judge me favorably, and I need to judge myself favorably to find the positive points within myself, as Rabbi Nachman teaches in Torah Reish Pei Beis. If I wait for others to judge me favorably, and again, others are anonymous. It's not about any identity or individualized identity. It's about understanding that I am alone in this world, that everything I see in this world is mine, and it's about my relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's why it's called his which is contingent upon bedidus, a sense of loneliness. It's bad v'bad yildash. It's about wearing that singular garment, about entering into that place of holy solitude, of recognizing that I'm the only person in the world, and turning my face away from they, from the voice, from the kol harmoini shel romi, from what the world demands in Avedis Hashem, and willing to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu unconditionally like an animal in the forest who is willing to scream out like a madman, like a meshugana, because all that matters is to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu with joy and to find connection to Hashem. Now, this teaching that Rabbi Nachman hints to about loy echpat leklal, is the 155th teaching in the Kutamaran, volume one, which is the Torah of Erech Apayin. This is the Torah of what a person is zocha to in Eretz Yisrael. And Rabbi Nachman starts off this teaching as follows. Rabbi Nachman starts off this teaching, Kuf Nun 155, with Atzva Sumida Ra'a Ma'od. Sadness is a terrible, terrible Mida. But when Rabbeinu tells us that something is a bad Mida, it means that we have Bechira over it. And so instead of looking at sadness as a condition that falls upon us, we can look at sadness as a condition that we allow to fall upon ourselves. Obviously not talking about any predisposition or any chemical imbalances, but the very nikuda of atzvus itself for Rabbi Nachman is a midara, and it's what blocks us from serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And we have to be bocher to be besimcha, unconditionally speaking. And Rabbi Nachman says that the place that we receive this is in Eretz Yisrael. We receive this mindset, the capacity of finding joy wherever I walk, whatever I do, I find it in Eretz Yisrael. And as Rabbi Nachman taught us, when a person has a heart, it doesn't matter where you are. You connect to Eretz Yisrael in your heart. Wherever I walk, I'm walking towards the land of joy. I'm walking towards Eretz Yisrael. And Rabbi Nachman describes the Midah, the simcha that one finds in Eretz Yisrael is Erech What is Erech What is long-windedness, long and compassion, the elongated nose of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak? Erech It means that Af is the birthplace of anger. 
And the opposite of anger is the ability to take a deep breath, to be ma'arich af, to inhale slowly from your nose and to hold your breath and to recognize that I don't need to react to the things that are happening around me right now. I need to cultivate my inner serenity, my inner equanimity to respond with simcha. It doesn't mean to become a walking mat, but rather it means to face everything with equanimity and to reach that place of loy li klal. If there's something I can do to fix it, let me fix it, let me be boicher betov. And if there's nothing I could do to fix it, let me walk further without any resentment and without caring. Rabbi Nachman told this Talmidim when he came back from Eretz Yisrael, he said, Chevra, I've come back and I've brought you a big gift and it's the gift of machlokas. And it was the machlokas that happened with Osa Azakein at that time period. And what the Talmidim say is that the gift of machlokas is to come to the place of not caring about machlokas, of not caring what anybody else says about me. I don't care. All I care about is serving you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. All I care about is finding the unconditional joy that exists within my mind. I don't need the outside world to adhere to the conditions of my mind. I can live within the Gan Eden in my mind. That everlasting joy, that unbreakable demand for simcha in spite of everything. And Ibn Nachman himself said, he says, I've gotten to the point where nobody bothers me, not even my biggest enemy in the world. I see my biggest enemy in the world and the biggest stranger in the world as being equal in my eyes. Thus is a free person. This is a person without resentments, without regrets, with no hard feelings. Someone who is able to walk around free. Someone who is able to walk around with this, with being alone with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And Rabbi Nachman continues about the Erech HaPayim, the Midah of compassion and taking a deep breath and cultivating that inner serenity that is unconditional. And Rabbi Nachman says as follows in the 155th teaching. Rabbi Nachman says, the Zebechinas Erech HaPayim, and this is the aspect of taking a deep breath. I'm not afraid of anything. Nothing frightens me. The only thing that I connect to is HaKadosh Baruch Hu in my mind. And I don't pay attention to any distractions or confusion in my service of God. I do me, I do what I need to do, and you do what you need to do. And it doesn't bother me. Nothing bothers me. This is the aspect of Erechapayim. This is the aspect of compassion on the self. This is the aspect of the Simcha of Yisrael. Nothing has the ability to distract me or confound me. Why? I don't care about anything. That's the only place that Rabbi Nachman writes such a lashon, other than in Shivchei Aram. The only place, I don't care about anything. Nothing bothers me. I serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu according to my own understanding, according to my own mind, according to my own heart, according to my own body. When a person is capable of reaching that mindset, when a person is capable of reaching that place of equanimity, then happiness becomes a possibility. Then I no longer have to look at the prerequisites of happiness that operate externally, and I can operate according to my own inner compass. Now, there's an amazing, amazing dream that Rabbi Nachman recorded. It's an incredible dream 
that was brought down in Chaim Aharan after a little bit of censorship, and it found its way into the Sipurim Maisios with the Mashalim at the end, according to all of the Meforshim. And the Maisa goes as follows. Now, I'm not going to tell the whole Maisa because it's a longer dream, but we'll read Ketayim from it. And this took place in Kislev, Tovkuf Ayin, in Breslov. Rabbi Nachman had a dream that he was in a small house and nobody was coming to him. There were no Hasidim coming to him. There was nobody coming to spend time with him. There was nobody looking for Eitzah, alone, lonely. And he walked out of that small house and he entered into a big house. And again, there was nobody there. And he said to himself, I might as well go outside and search. And I went outside and I saw that there were circles and circles of people who were whispering to themselves. And this one was laughing at me. And this one was pointing at me. And this one was shaming me. And even my people, even those in my lifetime who loved me and understood my derech, they were all against me. Some of them spoke out against me. Some of them whispered and some of them just ignored me. I called one of my people over to me and he said, what is this? Rabbeinu said, what's going on here? And the person said, kazos. how did you do this? How did you act this way, Rabbi Nachman? How did you do this? Is it possible that you did such a thing, Rabbi Nachman? I had no idea what they were talking about whatsoever and they continued laughing at me. I asked the man to explain to me to gather together my people so that we can figure out what's going on and he ran away from me and I didn't see him again. I sat on my own trying to figure out what to do and I decided that I was going to try and run away to another place where nobody would know me. But when I got there, it was the same way. Everybody was standing around pointing at me and laughing at me as if they knew what had happened. And I sat myself again in a forest on my own. And thankfully, five of my people came to me and I went with them into a forest and we sat there and we hid ourselves because they couldn't let the world know who they were with. And then there was an old man who came and I said to him, what's going on? And he said, how did you do this? How could you have done something like this? And Rabbi Nachman said, I don't know what I did. I don't know what I did. And he said, how could you have done this? And he demands from this old man to bring him a book. All he needed was a book and the old man had to hide the book. And when the person brought this nameless book to Rabbi Nachman, the dream says in his dream, he couldn't read a single word. Very similar to the Baal Shem Tov's experience on his way towards Eretz Yisrael, where he couldn't even remember the Aleph Beis. He came to such a darg of katnes, of lowliness, of loneliness. And then, finally, I began to understand the Aleph base again. And I walked with this person to try and figure out what was going on. And he said to me again, kazos, How did you do this? How do you not have shame? Even in hell, this person said to Rabbi Nachman, you're not going to have a place to hide. And Rabbi Nachman said, I answered him, if an angel came and said this to me, I would believe them. But to you, I don't have to believe you. And this person said, I'm from there. I'm an angel. And he proved to me that he was from there. And I remember it says Rabbi Nachman, the Maish of the Baal Shem Tov, where he forgot everything. When the Baal Shem Tov thought that he lost Olam Haba, and Rabbi Nachman said, the Amar Ani Olam Haba. I love HaKadosh Baruch Hu even without Olam Haba. 
even if I am despised by the entire world, I love HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And I tossed my head back almost as if saying, I'm done, I don't care anymore. I tossed my head back with such bitterness. And when I threw my head back with such intensity, everybody gathered around me again. Everybody. My avos and this old man and the Bashem Tavakadosh. And they said to me, the Pasik, Upri Haaretz Lagonu Lutifaras. You, the fruit of the tree, the fruit of the loin of the Bashem Tavakadosh, you are the one where the glory will come from. The Amruli, and they said to me, that it's the opposite. You, Rabbi Nachman, are going to be the birthplace of our joy. And they brought everybody back. And everybody judged me pos- positively again. When I threw my head back, if there was a person who went against the entirety of the Torah 800 times, if he had thrown his head back with such a despair and an intensity of not caring like me, they would have most certainly forgiven him. And I don't need to tell you the rest of it because it was obviously good. In this Maisa, in this terrifying dream, Rabbi Nachman reaches that place where there's nobody in the world for him, where everybody is looking at him and telling him that you're wrong and it's not right what you're doing. And Rabbi Nachman is accused, like the person in all of the stories of Rabbi Nachman's stories is accused, running without understanding why they're being chased. But in the end of the day, Rabbeinu was able to cast his head aside and say, I don't care. I don't care about my olam haba. I don't care about anything. And at that point, everything returns to him. When a person is willing to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu without any precondition and to find joy without any precondition, that's going to be the birthplace of Avedis Hashem. Rabbi Nachman explains in the end of the fifth teaching in the second volume of Lukuta Maran. A person needs to cast off their mind and a person needs to throw away all of their logic and serve Hashem with simplicity because a person needs their actions to be above their mind. And teaching and learning is not the essence, but rather actions. And a person has to get rid of all of their intelligence and intellectualism without any knowledge whatsoever. Not only stupidities, but even real Torah, even real ideas, even somebody who has a big mind, when it comes to the service of God, they need to throw it all away. And a person needs to even act like a crazy person, to not care what anybody else thinks, in the aspect of what the Pasuk says, with my love for you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I shall yearn after you. Rabbi Nachman says the Lashon of Tiske, of yearn after you, is the Lashon of Shigayon, of being a madman. That for the sake of the service of God, a person has to do things, even if it appears that they're a madman, in order to follow through the desire of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. A person needs to roll around in all sorts of mud and cement and clay for the service of God. And not only for a mitzvah, but rather to simply serve God. That's how we bring joy to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's how we bring kavod to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, by not caring anymore. 
by only caring about what is written in the Torah of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, only caring about my precondition for Simcha. When I'm able to reach that place, then I'm able to be B'Simcha Tamid. Then I'm able to be joyous in spite of anything that's going on in my life. To end, we're going to look at one of my favorite teachings, and it's from Chaim Haran Oistes. Oistaf, rather. The famous teaching, the comments of Rabbeinu, with regards to the way that the world looks right now. Nothing is new, nothing is too overwhelming, nothing is so bad that it can't be fixed. It's been like this many, many times. The world has worked this way before. That those who are low appear to be high in this world. And those who are high appear to be low. And the world did not operate a according to any level of truth. But nevertheless, there was an individual who sat hidden away in the lowest of places, like Yonah who found himself in the bottom of the ship in the midst of the storm. And what was this person doing? He was laughing at the entire world. He was throwing his head back and saying, I don't care whatsoever. I only care about Hashem. I only care about finding Simcha. The who and this person, and this is the person who gave life and vitality to existence. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu took such great joy and pleasure in this individual. And this individual who was just laughing at it all, cracking up at it all, not caring about any of it, just doing his own thing, being the jester for Hashem, he lived a true life. And his life was truly life. For there are a number of ways of experiencing life. The prerequisite for living a life of joy, for choosing joy, for recognizing that simcha is not something that depends on pre-existing conditions, but rather that simcha is a choice that every person can make in each and every moment. If we're willing to cast away our obsession with how other people look at us, with how we look at ourselves through the eyes of others and to judge ourselves favorably, when we live our lives with this, the baseline is simcha. Simcha is the way I wake up in the morning. Simcha is the way I go to bed at night. And anything that takes me away from simcha is simply another opportunity for me to realign myself to the acknowledgement that simcha is an unconditional choice that I make. When I free myself from the confines of other people's opinions and judgments, I become someone who can finally serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu like a mishugana. Like, like somebody who has lost their mind, like David Malka Mashiach, who danced like a madman, who acted like a madman, who was the Barchana de Malka, the jester of the king, who was willing to stand upon his head and make ridiculous acts for the sake of elevating joy and bringing this world back up to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And when we're able to enter into this unconditional space of joy where we disconnect ourselves from what the rest of the world thinks and what we think about ourselves, it's that opening, that gate that lets us come into that place of true simcha. And Be'ezr Sashem, as we continue the path, we're going to learn next week about Mile Dishtusa, 
the, the specific actions that Rabbi Nachman spoke about that help cultivate simcha, even when a person is not feeling simcha. And more importantly, the cognitive model of Rabbi Nachman's treatment of simcha, which is how to deal with invading thoughts of sadness when we're trying to be happy. Be'ezrus Hashem. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.